Hello, it's me, Stephanie. I'm back. Here is a bonus episode. Thank you so much for bearing with me, for giving me the space to have um, a, a baby and navigate that newborn period, which I think we're coming out of now. Fingers crossed. Yeah, so I didn't mention that I was pregnant. Some of you may have guessed it from some of the content that we were putting out on the podcast, but I kind of actually have been pregnant since 2020. Um I got pregnant in July 2020 for the first time and uh, during that time we were kind of doing the political stuff um, on the podcast um, and then on in October 2020 I miscarried that pregnancy in the second trimester and at that point I had already booked in some pregnancy podcasts because I didn't know I was going to miscarry so the one that you may have remembered with Jennifer Donnelly, Vicky O'Dwyer, all of those had been booked in and I just had to go ahead and do them anyway. They didn't know that I had been pregnant, they didn't know that I had miscarried and they were tough enough to record but we managed to get through them. I got pregnant again in that Christmas and that was a very early miscarriage and then pregnant again the following March and had a miscarriage in the May. All of the time then then um, I sort of got interested. That's when we did the really, the, the serious mental health month in on the podcast because I well, I needed to do it and, uh, and I think other people needed it as well. But I wasn't being, I didn't discuss why I needed to do it because I don't know, I just felt like I'm so public about all of the things that are going on. But the pregnancy bit, I just didn't feel like I had the energy or the capacity or the strength to share, to to open up what was happening to me because I know that you always get flooded with love and advice and support and I just didn't feel able to let people in with that. So then um, we had another miscarriage and then we got pregnant in, um, oh, then we had two rounds of IVF and uh, we did some IVF information on the podcast. That was sort of me trying to, you know, figure out whether or not I would or wouldn't, um, would or wouldn't go down the IVF route. We were told that we didn't need to, that we didn't have the fertility issues that IVF, you know, um, supports. But I just felt like I had to do something. I was so exhausted from having all these miscarriages. And we knew from the miscarriages that there was a genetic issue with the embryos um, and because they were tested after the miscarriages. So there's a thing you can do called PGA and or PGTA, pre-genetic testing, and where basically you do IVF, you get an embryo, and then before you implant it into the woman, you do genetic testing on it to see if it has any of those chromosomal abnormalities. So I thought, look, there's a solution. We'll do this. And we did two rounds of IVF in, um, I want to say, September and late October last year. Uh, Sorry, 2021. And... uh, they both didn't work. The first one we got like, I think maybe 18 eggs. And then uh, what happens is they take the eggs out and then they see how many fertilize on day one, how many fertilize, and then they have to make it to day two, day three, day four, day five. Um, And basically on the first round, none of them made it to day five every, at every day there was more dropping off. And then the second time we did it, we got less eggs, but one of them did make it to embryo stage. But as they were doing the testing on it, it got stuck in the pipette and destroyed, which was like just so brutal. When they told us, I was like, what is this? Um, so the IVF didn't work and then we happened to get pregnant spontaneously. So it was just a really expensive experiment. Uh, so, yeah, then... Um, 
I just was really terrified throughout my pregnancy with Aurora that I would miscarry again because that was my experience of, you know, I just thought all pregnancies end in miscarriage because five of them had for me. And I was, you know, for the first 20 weeks of a pregnancy, 24 weeks really, you can't feel any movement inside you. Um, For me anyway, I couldn't. And so, you know, my doctor would say to me, actually, for the first 24 weeks, there's nothing you can do. If you miscarry, it's completely out of your control. There's really nothing you can do to affect that. And I kind of felt secure in that. You know, if I if I miscarried, there was nothing that was going to be my fault. But then after 24 weeks, you have to track the movement. And if you, if you notice that the movement is reduced or that there's less movement, you have to present to the hospital because, you know, they can intervene and sometimes potentially save a baby or sometimes, you know, it's too it's too late but I was really freaked out of that because it was all on me to track these movements and as an autistic person I have an issue with interoception which is um, knowing identifying feelings inside myself so you know I mix up fear and hunger I mix up um, anxiety and thirst you know what I mean like the, the, the feelings that happen inside me I can't really identify them and I also couldn't really identify the movement so I would present to the hospital very frequently saying I can't feel any movement and they would scan me and I could see her moving on the screen but I couldn't feel it and so that's kind of a liability so we knew that if that happened very frequently I would probably have to you know ha- have a c-section and have an early labour just because it's not safe towards the end of a pregnancy to be walking around not able to feel it. Um, But in the end, anyway, I was able to feel it for the last few days and then I had a sweep on a Monday, um, which is a procedure whereby the midwife or doctor inserts their fingers into your cervix and basically like sweeps around to separate the baby's membranes from your body and it can sometimes induce labour if if you're going to go anyway. So that happened and uh, then I went back home to sit on the couch and watch the Queen's funeral and at the end, like about four o'clock, I was like, mm, did, did, is that, do I feel a little bit of water? And I was like, nah, it was just like a teacup amount, you know, and I had seen on TV that like when waters break, it's this whoosh, like it's just so much. So I thought nothing of it and went for a walk and then the next day the doctor rang me and was like, how did the sweep go? And I was like, yeah, you know, like I think I think I felt some water yesterday afternoon. She was like, oh, for God's sake, Stephanie, like you've been such a hypochondriac for this whole pregnancy. Like I have a rash, I have a pain. And the one time that I actually need you to actually attend the hospital because something has happened, you don't. So I went in. Uh, she was like, I need to now check if your waters have broken because if they have, we have to induce you because you can't be walking around with broken waters because you could get an infection. So I went in, my waters had broken, so they had to induce me. And so I started on oxytocin or pitocin, they call it in the States. And I did that for about five hours with gas and air. I didn't want an epidural. Excuse me for yawning, my baby doesn't sleep. Um, I didn't want an epidural because I wouldn't have been able to move around. And I needed to be able to move around to like regulate myself if I got anxious. So I was like in and out of the shower, taking the gas and air with me into the shower to help with the contractions. And then nothing was happening. Then I was reading a book and <laughs> the doctor was coming in being like, are you like, I just have never seen a woman lying in labour reading a book. And then after five hours, it did get very painful. And I was like, OK, now I need an epidural. So I got an epidural and it didn't work. And at that point, it was so painful. Like I was crying, I was biting my hands. And then someone else came in and gave me another epidural and that did work. 
And then it was another five hours of just waiting and waiting and waiting. And they were monitoring continuously. Um, and Rory was doing fine, uh, but she wasn't progressing. She wasn't coming down into the birth canal and my cervix wasn't um, dilating. So my doctor is this very glamorous woman who wears these heels and these dresses around the hospital. You can hear her clip-clopping up to the room. And one of the midwives was like, I've seen her do emergency C-sections in those stilettos. I was like, well, that, that is impressive. But she came in to see me in the evening about half nine and she was wearing her scrubs and her runners. So I knew that this, something different was going to happen because she was dressed for it. So I think she'd gone home and put her kids to bed and was like, right, I better go in and deliver this baby. So she came in and then we had to, I had to have an emergency C-section. Uh, that's what they call it because it's not planned, but like it wasn't an emergency, if you know what I mean. It wasn't like I wasn't in danger and neither was the baby. Um, So, yeah, so that was it. And then she was born and uh, then they just hand you a baby and are like, there you go. And I had no idea what I was doing. I had um, a podcast this week is going to be with... Um, Nicola, the lactation consultant, and I had seen her antenatally and she'd been telling me about gathering colostrum. So I had been harvesting colostrum for about four weeks before Rory was born. So we had a good amount of that in the fridge. Um, And I knew that I might have some issues breastfeeding because I have insufficient glandular tissue, IGT, so I have low supply. Um, But we had so much of it stored that that got us through for a couple of days and then my milk came in and it wasn't enough. So we had to supplement her with formula, but... um, you know, it was kind of, she was probably at the start getting about 30% formula and 70% breast milk. And then those ratios change as she gets hungrier and my milk doesn't come in. But um, yeah, we were in the hospital then for five days. And on the Sunday we came out and haven't slept since. Sleep is, I'm in these WhatsApp groups with parents and it's it's all we talk about is naps and sleep and how to get them to sleep and how long they nap for and you're constantly comparing and trying to do all these crazy things to get your baby to sleep and it's absolutely exhausting. She's 20 weeks today as I record this and we had our last breastfeed this morning so I'm glad to have been able to get this far. Um, Obviously have mixed emotions about finishing but we are where we are and yeah, thank you for the support and for giving me the you know, for giving me the maternity leave and uh, not uh, an understanding when there wasn't um, bonus episodes coming out. Um, I think for the next episode, I'm going to do a mailbag. So for those of you who are listening to this, who subscribe to the podcast, message me on Instagram and just tell me that you're a subscriber and uh, I'll do a question box and I'll answer some of your questions because I could talk all day about the pregnancy and about the miscarriages, but some of the information is probably tedious and I'm probably leaving out bits that you actually want to know. So let's do that and I will release that quickly after this one so get in touch and yeah it's great to be back and thanks for listening 